welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm stoned. Wait, no, I'm Joe. <laughs> and I died at the end. <laughs> and oh I'm Brenna. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> and our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumlipstache Equipment Territory within the unceded traditional lands of Squipmulu. And today's text, which is Go Ask Alice by Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Just kidding, it's Beatrice Sparks. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have a, a territorial acknowledgement because it very intentionally does not have a concrete location. Because of course, mm-hmm. Joe, this is in every story. This is true. Yeah, it's it's an own voices story. It's an every person's <laughs> story. It reflects the lived experience of everyone who has ever dabbled with LSD as a gateway drug. Oh, Joe, I've been so excited to talk about this book because it's part of a genre of text that we haven't really talked about on the show very no. much that were very popular in the 70s and 80s, which were uh-huh. the problem books, right? These, <laughs> yes. these YA books that were centered around some sort of teen crisis. And mm-hmm. this is the daddy of all <laughs> problem books because mm-hmm. it was a juggernaut. Um, so Go Ask Alice, written by quote-unquote Anonymous, has sold over 5 million copies. And even in the early 2000s, it was still one of the 25 most banned books in the U.S. And so I think that we can both acknowledge that this book is very bad. Mm-hmm. Very, very bad. Maybe even like damagingly bad. But I Uh think we have to talk about the cultural phenomenon that was this type of storytelling and this book in particular. Yeah, I I fully agree. And I actually think that the book is less interesting than Mm -hmm. the actual context in which it was received and why it became such a popular book. I'll admit I was surprised that it was banned given that this seems like the kind of book that people who ban books would actually embrace because it feels like very conservative. It seems uh, very reactionary. And I guess I'm just really surprised. And I know that uh, I think at least one of the kind listeners who wrote in to talk to us about this experience, which includes Miriam and Sophie and Tea Books and Chocolate and Victoria, and also a very late tweet by Gavin, but Gavin, we still have it covered. I can't remember which one said it, but they they very much were like, oh, I'm surprised the conservatives didn't want this book to reach an even wider audience because it feels like it fits their agenda. Well, I mean, it's very much a try drugs once and your life is over kind of story, which, mm-hmm. yes, conservatives do tend to enjoy. But I think part of the problem here is that... Um, as is common in responses to this book in general, and as Sophie wrote in in their comments, this book this book makes drugs sound awesome. It really does, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that in general, the book is very poorly written. Like, it's, it's not well-structured. It doesn't feel reflective of how a teenager would actually write, except for sometimes the lapses between days where it's like, oh, I didn't have anything to say, so I didn't write. But... Yeah, the descriptions of what it's like to be on drugs 
are kind of amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not a drug person in general. And yet, even this, I thought, oh, maybe I should drop acid. <laughs> Yes, yes, I I agree completely. So um, as early as 1973, this book was being censored and banned. And that was when people still, for the most part, thought it was real. Right. Uh, Aline Pace Nilsson wrote in 1973, quote, Go Ask Alice is the book that teens want to read and adults want to censor. But I think that, yeah, it has a lot to do with the fact that, okay, there's a ton of profanity, which for sure is often Mm -hmm. something that censors pick up on. But yeah. It makes drugs look cool, and it makes sex on drugs sound really great. Right. Mm-hmm. So the message of the book is less don't have premarital sex, for example, than it is premarital sex would be better if you were on lots of acid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just something so bizarre about this book. You know, I knew that it was going to be hyperbolic in its assertion that drugs will ruin your life but it feels a little bit odd right because the first part of the book is this girl who has a not great relationship with her parents in particular her mother uh she doesn't like the way that she looks so she wants to lose weight and we did have i think almost everybody who wrote in commented that the book was very challenging because it is incredibly fat phobic mm-hmm And her family picks up and moves to a new place because her father works at the college. So this girl is excited for a chance at a a new life. She's going to make some new friends. And then things don't really go her way. She ends up falling in with a bad crowd. And, you know, over the course of the first diary, because she has two diaries in this, her life just completely spirals to the point where she has engaged in sex work. She has been raped. Um, you know, she has run away from home, I think, twice. And then she finally seems to be getting her life back together. And then she is, like, roofied by bad kids in mm-hmm. the second part of the book. And mm-hmm. it lands her in a psych ward. And mm-hmm. then just when you think everything's going to be okay, you get to this just absolute slam dunk of an ending where it's revealed that she died uh you know like and it's uncertain whether she took her own life or if it was something else and the book is basically just like drugs are bad kids yeah i mean i don't have to do a plot summary now because you just nailed it (laughs) well i i struggled to even remember the organization of the book but then i realized when i finished oh it kind of doesn't matter what happens you just need to know that her life is terrible because she tried drugs once and then you just go from there like that is the entirety of the book even though it is more than 200 pages Well, what's fascinating is that, you know, you framed it as her life is terrible because she tried drugs. I think it's actually even more nefarious than that, because in both cases where her drug use is initiated, it is not her decision. She's she's slipped drugs in both cases. (laughs) In the first instance, it's a glass of Coke laced with LSD. Right. She unwittingly ingests it, and the trip is great. The description of that trip, by the way, I would also immediately become a drug addict. It makes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so much more sense than not doing drugs in that scene. Um, So I think it's really important here that our protagonist, who, you know, most critics call Alice, although she is never named in the book. Right. She has no agency over her own life. So, you know, her parents control her kind of movement through space, and these friends that she keeps hooking up with initiate this 
experience of drugs, even going into the psychiatric hospital to seek help. That is also something that happens against her will. Mm -hmm. I mean, Alice's story is less one, I think, of the dangers of drugs and more like why you should be like an intentional player in your own life. Because if you just (laughs) let things happen to you, you will die. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would argue that the only thing she really has control over is her weight. And Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, it's not a very politically correct, like, it's not a very modern consideration of what we would want girls to consider when they're thinking about their own bodies, right? Like, basically, Alice, in quotation marks, elects to lose weight in order to make herself happy but then it's also kind of revealed that it pleases her mother because she then looks better and Mm -hmm. that's maybe one of the reasons why she does it because her mom is very naggy Mm -hmm. well and the more she takes drugs the less interested she is in food the thinner she gets and Mm -hmm. her parents are like you're looking great sweetie yeah oh man award for most oblivious parents possibly that we've seen oh my gosh yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she she sure does spend a lot of time studying at the library. <laughs> My gosh. I do want to talk a little bit about something else that um, our listeners brought up. So I'm going to come back to Sophie's letter, which I've already mentioned. And, and Sophie writes, I hope you speak about the queer themes in the book. Obviously, there's mm-hmm. really bad homophobia here, but the sexuality of the protagonist is also dealt with in a curious manner. I really liked this because it reminded me of a fantastic essay that I had read in preparation for today's episode. Right. And it's from the Paris Review, and it's called A Queer Reading of Go Ask Alice. And uh, one of the things I like about this article is they go through what they call the four stages of Go Ask Alice, which is Mm -hmm. you read it when you're young and you're totally titillated and horrified by the book. Right, And then as you get a little bit older, you start to suspect that there's something fishy going on. Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, you figure out that it's not, in fact, a real diary. And then then the book is just funny. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. This writer goes on. But one of the things Frankie Thomas talks about in this essay is reading Alice as a closeted bisexual character. Yes. Rather than just seeing the book as sort of homophobic and kind of writing it off and and not Mm -hmm. thinking about it again, because I fully agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. In this piece, Frankie, Frankie Thomas writes, it's easy to misremember the book's gay content. If one remembers it at all as pure homophobia. And there are all these really awful scenes, including the narrator catching her drug dealer boyfriend in bed with another man. And she's, you know, utterly repulsed by this and it's terrible. Mm hmm. But Thomas also writes, a closer reading, however, and I am nothing if not a close reader of Go Ask Alice, reveals that the narrator actually spends the entire diary consumed with anxiety that she herself might be queer, even before she starts using drugs. Yep. And that is something that recurs throughout the narrative. And in many ways, drug use unlocks her mm-hmm. ability to feel sexual pleasure and particularly her her curiosity about her innate queerness mm-hmm. and suppressing the use of drugs you know, trying to be quote unquote normal, um, also suppresses her sexuality, which is kind of fascinating. Like, again, another tick mark in the column for drugs, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens to Alice when she is under the influence. But I absolutely agree with that reading, because when she runs away the first time and she ends up opening a clothing store with her friend and roommate, there's definitely 
a weird aura of sexual tension in mm-hmm. the fact that they're like, oh, we live together and we work together like we're partners in every sense of the word. And even her relationship with Goody Two Shoes Beth at the beginning smacks of, you know, she was good and I wanted to be with her and be like her. Like, there's a lot of queer coming of age elements written into the book. And then when you compound that with Alice's obsession with meeting the expectations and the kind of marriage material of this perfect guy that just conveniently is never there for her. He always has to go away to military school and they can only correspond by letters. And you're like, oh, that is a safe boyfriend for Mm -hmm. a queer person to have because he is never there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that that is a really interesting aspect that actually seems to have slipped completely by the censors, right? Mm -hmm. Normally we'd Mm -hmm. see that kind of latent queer desire as central to censorship efforts, but it it doesn't seem to make any of the... um... Uh, any of the the lists. I mean, where they refer to sex, they refer to sort of the overt sexuality that happens mm-hmm. in the book, which is predominantly heterosexual, except for those few right. scenes. Um, but yeah, to me, like, the stuff going on below the surface is way sexier. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's just because there's so much obvious material mm. that people would gravitate to and say, oh, well, this is salacious. It needs to be banned, right? Because this book is catnip for controversy like it is so trigger happy with like we're gonna give you all of the terrible stuff so it makes sense that people would stick to the surface because there's enough there to occupy them but yeah where the book becomes most interesting is in the close reading and i would also yeah argue you know nothing to do with the book itself and how people ended up using it or critiquing it or the sort of nefariousness of its origin Most of the people who wrote in made reference to the terrible narrative voice of this book, the wildly unconvincing narrative voice. And Mm -hmm. I actually think that the the profanity would be less salacious if it was more persuasive. Does that make sense? There's one point, almost all the censors quote the same line in the book which Mm -hmm. i can't even say with a straight face um towards the end when she's i think she's this is the part where she's in san francisco and she's she quotes herself saying another day another blowjob and all the censors pick up on that line as they're like oh man this is you know the profanity and the sex in this book is so overt and i'm just like no one would say that <laughs> no one would say that with a straight face. It's one of the most incoherent lines in the text. And and so I just, I keep coming back to this idea that, you know, a lot of the profanity stands out when you read the book because it mm-hmm. sounds so wildly inauthentic. Right. Also, I will gently rebuff you because I wake up every single day <laughs> and say that to myself. And, and in case folks obviously hopefully catch on to my sarcastic glibness, The reason I'm able to do that when we're talking about things like underage sex work and coercion and rape and that kind of stuff is because it is so wildly inauthentic. Like, this is not a real experience, and this is not reflective of the real social issues that we need to do a better job of unpacking as a society. Like, this book is not real in any sense of the word, so I feel more comfortable mocking its depictions because they're so poorly done. Totally. And we will talk about that because I think talking about Beatrix Sparks as a figure 
is fascinating and also genuinely horrifying. But before mm-hmm. we leave the conversation about the book being banned, I want right. to share a couple of choice um, bannings of this book because I have some favorites. Okay. It has really been treated like it is basically radioactive. Mm-hmm. So the book was published in 71. As far as I know, the first actual removal from a library came in 74. And okay. it was followed by a lot of challenges and removals. My my favorite examples, though, are in 1983, um, in Minnesota, it was challenged after a school board official found the book's language, and I quote here, personally offensive, <laughs> which I kind of love. It's like... Are you I mentioned didn't like in the it. book? Let's get rid of it. <laughs> um, and in Colorado in 83, they actually almost got to the heart of the problem with the book because it was banned not just for its immoral tone, but mm-hmm. also for its, quote, lack of literary quality. Wow. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind seeing more bannings on that that particular <laughs> criterion. Like, oh, this book is just horribly written and not fit for human consumption. Yep. And along those lines in 1986, it was banned by the Gainesville Public Library, or I guess more accurately, it was restricted by the Gainesville Public Library, along with 40 other books. And I don't have the list. I should have looked it up. But Go Ask Alice was restricted exclusively to adults and and as a result is kept in a locked room in the library. Wow. Can you imagine having to ask someone for the key <laughs> to go read Go Ask Alice? <laughs> Can you imagine how disappointed you'd be when you got it home? do i have to wear the white gloves in order to handle this text (laughs) anyway it's been banned uh from school libraries and classrooms as recently as 2008 according to the banned library database so Mm -hmm. you know if nothing else you gotta you gotta honor the staying power of this book to keep bothering (laughs) people well it's interesting because i think this is perfectly fine for adults but you know, we did have one listener, Miriam, who wrote in to indicate that she did read this as a child and she did believe that this was mm-hmm. an authentic drug experience. And in that capacity, I do kind of wonder like, oh, it's so alarmist. Maybe it is better kept out of the hands of kids. Well, this is the thing that I think I was so grateful that Miriam wrote in about the experience of reading this book as a 12 year old and being captivated by it because mm-hmm. It's easy to miss that as an adult, right? To, yeah. To, to miss how important these kinds of books are to a certain type of reader and how mm-hmm. kind of catnippy they are. Yeah. There's a piece in Bustle about the lasting controversy of Go Ask Alice by Caitlin White from 2014. And in it, she has this section that says, why did we love Go Ask Alice? And I just, I got to read you this passage because I think it really gets at the heart of the target market here. Okay. When I say teens and preteens tore through this book, I'm not actually talking about the teens that parents should have been worried about. Book banners like to take Go Ask Alice out of libraries because they think, I assume, that it will teach their children to do drugs, have sex, and disrespect those parents, like the diarist does. (laughs) Sure. In my experience, though, it's really not the sex-having, drug-doing teenagers who flock to this kind of diary. It's the girls more in the goody-two-shoes spectrum that found vicarious thrills from a safe distance from any danger. And I say Mm -hmm. that proudly as one of those preteens myself. Mm -hmm. It was exciting, debauched, and it was something that we kind of thought we weren't supposed to be reading. It's like when Beverly Hills 90210 came out in 1990 and we children snuck episodes with our friends. These were experiences of cooler, older teenagers, we thought, but we weren't partaking. We were observing. 
enraptured. Mm-hmm. But any intention that Go Ask Alice was an anti-drug novel was lost on us, needless to say. Right. Yeah, I love that idea of living vicariously through things. And I think that's actually always my issue with things that get censored or banned is that it actually makes them look more appealing to the people who probably wouldn't have even given it a second thought previous. It's like, oh, this this book is striking up a controversy. What's the big hubbub about? Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and I think those are worthy conversations to have, but I think they have to be had in the context of who Beatrice Sparks was and what the intention of the book was. Uh, Please use her real name, Anonymous. (laughs) So, (laughs) So it took until probably, I think, the 80s before... Beatrice Sparks uh, was sort of identified as the author. She had been identified as the sort of facilitator of the story previously. Um, And it was kind of seen as like, oh, she found this diary and she brought it to publication. Right. But it wasn't until the late 70s, early 80s that people started to say like, oh, maybe Sparks was more than the editor here. Mm -hmm. Sparks was a teen therapist putting an asterisk on that and coming back to it though okay okay um, and i think very importantly a mormon youth counselor oh suddenly details are mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh-huh and this is the first of her books but it is not the only one of her books in fact beatrice sparks has sort of taken credit for discovering and bringing to life a lot of of these anonymous teenage journals, including Jay's journal, which is about suicide due to Satanism. Oh, yes. Okay. It happened to Nancy, which I think is about sexual assault, Um, Almost Lost, the true story of an anonymous teenager's life on the streets, Annie's Baby, the diary of an anonymous pregnant teenager, Treacherous Love. I don't know what that one's about, and I didn't look it up. It sounds like an older man romance. That's my guess. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. Kim, Empty Inside, which I believe is about an eating disorder. Oh, sure. Yeah. Finding Katie, the diary of an anonymous teenager in foster care. Oh. And Lucy in the Sky, published quite recently, Joe. No. 2012. Stop it. (laughs) Which is about, it's a retelling of Go Ask Alice for the modern day. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. Now I'm kind of curious. Like, is it better written? Do they understand the modern audiences better? <laughs> I mean, what what do you, what what's your what do you think, honestly? No, obviously not. <laughs> so, a couple of things are important about this body of work. Obviously, they are all credited to anonymous, but mm-hmm. if you look up the US Copyright Office records for all of these books, all but two of them have Sparks taking full copyright credit. Okay. For the entire book. So, um Kim, the the one about um an eating disorder mm-hmm. and almost lost the one about street life on the streets those two um she acknowledges material taken from other sources as a component now the copyright office doesn't require you to specify so we don't really know right but that in and of itself is interesting yeah other thing that's interesting and i think really tragic is that the success of go ask alice led people to see beatrice sparks as sort of an authority on troubled teenagers. Right. And mm-hmm. in 1973, um, Marcella Barrett, who is a, a woman also from Utah, she gave Sparks the journal of her deceased son. 
Her son Alden had suffered from depression and had died by suicide at age 16. And Barrett wanted sort of the go ask Alice treatment here as kind of a warning to other teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, The result of that book is Jay's journal, which, as I mentioned, is about suicide. But it's about suicide because of involvement in Satanism. (laughs) I'm sorry. And Alden Barrett's family was horrified by the book. There was no evidence that Alden had ever been involved with the occult. And in the end, Sparks had only used 21 entries out of the journal. There were over 200. Oh, gosh. And Sparks defended her book, saying that other friends of Alden's filled in the blanks for her. Sure they did. So we're getting at some ethical concerns. Joe, I wonder if you wanted to raise what Gavin wrote into the show while I'm kind of fleshing out my questions about Beatrice Sparks. <laughs> yeah, so Gavin ended up tweeting us, I think it's also important to acknowledge the authorship issue. So this book is apparently inspired by people Beatrice Sparks counseled. So not only was she, you know, sometimes given materials, but supposedly she was working with these individuals in a confidential you know doctor patient relationship so gavin questions did these individuals consent for their stories to be used like this and you know in that in the case of jay's journal i would say they did but not in the way that beatrice sparks ended up using it but then Mm -hmm. these other stories it's like oh boy we are treading on dangerous waters here Mm -hmm. and i think it's also important to know that while we know that Beatrice Sparks did work, again, as a Mormon youth counselor and did work as a therapist, in particular, a music therapist at the Utah State Mental Hospital. Okay. We know that she went to UCLA and also to Brigham Young University, but she professes to hold a PhD. Okay. And there is no record of either of those institutions awarding a PhD to Beatrice Uh-oh. Sparks. <laughs> Research Researchers have never been able to find a record of any doctorate in her name. Oh, dear. And many times she was sort of framed as being cagey or vague when mm-hmm. asked in interviews to speak about either her counseling qualifications or her professional experience. You know, and, and I think that defenders of Sparks might say, well, you know, that's that's respecting the confidentiality of her patients, and perhaps uh, that's true. No. But um, <laughs> I think that there are a lot of ethical questions at the core, not just of this book, And honestly, not just of Sparks, but of this whole movement that was so popular in a particular moment Mm -hmm. to write these kind of issue oriented books and to always sort of stitch them as if they're, you know, in some way tied to true life. Right. And and I think that Beatrice Sparks is probably the most famous of those. But, you know, Joe, I read a lot of quote unquote anonymous diaries when I was Mm -hmm. like 13. It was sort of my favorite genre of book. Um, And I'm not sure how many of those were authentic. And I'm not sure how many of those were, Mm -hmm. you know, produced in an ethical fashion. I don't think it was really the style of the time. No. And of course, like, we can't even say, oh, well, that period has passed. And now we're all doing much better. Because (laughs) uh, Victoria wrote in and said, you know, this reminds me of the controversy that surrounded a million little pieces Mm that James Frey Oprah endorsed book about, uh, you know, mental health and drug addiction. And I think part of the reason that folks get very upset when 
the sort of nefarious nature of these authors comes out is because not only do we want to buy into what they're selling, but because they sell them as authentic lived experiences, mm-hmm. we say, oh, well, okay, well, we're we're not going to challenge that, right? Like, this is somebody's life. And then to find out, no, this is just a work of fiction, or this is cobbled together with other things that I feel are important and I want to write about. It's like, okay, so you are actively looking to peddle misinformation under the guise of real lived experiences. And that is offensive and dangerous. I agree with you completely. And I think, you know, this gets at something that um, Tea Books and Chocolate wrote in. And, you know, Tea Books and Chocolate, like, works in this field, right? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm always very interested in her submissions, particularly when we're looking at a a text that deals with any of these kinds of issues. And one thing, I'm just going to read the kind of last paragraph of, of her email. She writes, as dismissive as I am about the book, I think there are ways to teach it. And of course, I love this because this set off all my like Right. That's what we're spells. aiming to do, right? We're <laughs> yeah. hopefully educating people, but also initiating a discussion. Yes. Um, she writes, I think teenagers would benefit from deconstructing the myths about drug use and learning more about setting boundaries, careful experimentation, and the addictive potential of different drugs. As a psychologist who follows this area of research tangentially, I know that there is thoughtful and nuanced work out there. I think books like this create an equally loud backlash that leads to claims like marijuana is never addictive in any way, which is mm-hmm. also untrue. Right. There are ways this book could be taught with nuance, unpacking the harmful tropes within it, and helping teenagers have a more informed choice about it and how they experiment with substances. I am sure there are better books to do that, but I'm trying to not entirely write this book off. Mm -hmm. But I do think much like, you know, A Million Little Pieces, which, yeah, I was glad Victoria wrote in and referenced that because I I heard huge echoes of it here. It's interesting that these sort of false memoirs are often around really salacious topics like drug abuse. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a conversation to be had about like, what is truth? Why does this book sell so much better when we think it's a real diary? What is it about that? Like, I think that's a really interesting conversation to have. I think it would take a pretty sophisticated high school teacher to manage that in a classroom of 30 kids who just read the phrase another day, another blowjob. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) still, I do think there's interesting work to be done there. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm intrigued, right? So as you were reading Tea Books and Chocolates quote, I actually picked up my copy because I still have it from the library. And it's listed in two different sections. It's from the teen section and also the fiction section. But if you didn't look at the spine, everything about the way the book is currently packaged is reflective of this is an authentic story. It sold 5 million copies. It's a beloved classic, blah, blah, blah. Like there's no reading group questions in the back like you might expect. Mm -hmm. There's no disclaimer that says that this is a confirmed work of fiction. So if you didn't pay attention to where it was cataloged by librarians, you may not know, except for, of course, the atrocious writing and all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that it remains intentionally vague in that way, right? Like the publishers as recently as, gosh, I was looking at the cover for the British edition from 2011, mm-hmm. which is just an exquisite photograph of a woman sort of on a roof of a building with her oh. arms in the air. It's quite, I mean, striking. It's okay. striking. I was going to say it's beautiful. It's not, it's striking. You're right. But it says on the cover, and this is 2011, mm-hmm. go ask Alice by anonymous. A lot of teenagers take drugs and run away. Some never make it back. This Ugh. is Alice's true story. No, it's 2011. not. 
That is blatant misinformation. A falsehood. <laughs> some, uh, apparently some editions do have an editor's note saying the book was right. based on an actual diary. Some have an editor's note that says it's fiction. So mm-hmm. I think it really depends on where it's being published, probably what the legal requirements are in that jurisdiction. Right. Um, but I, I think that more than anything, this is a fascinating study in... Uh, like, why do adults lie to kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was the at the end of that Paris Review piece that I quoted earlier. That's sort of one of the take-home messages is like, why do adults lie to children? Why do we think that this is an effective way to talk about yeah. any of the issues that are mm-hmm. at the core of this? Or, you know, something like Jay's journal. Why isn't it enough to reflect on what depression looks like? Right in a kid who has gone through it. Instead, we have to make it something about the occult, right? And and I mean, there's obvious, like, yeah, sensational things sell better, mm-hmm, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's something really at the core of our, how difficult adults find it to talk to kids about serious issues. Yep. And we have kind of like this little capsule study in these bizarre Beatrice Sparks books. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's why I'm so thankful for the... You could say glut or you could just say explosion of YA content in the last couple of decades because we are actually starting to see more complicated and nuanced examinations of that. And like a lot of that good work is being done in fiction where I personally find it more easy to get wrapped up in the narrative and people's journeys. So like I really appreciate the discourse that a lot of the texts that we have covered or that we have read independent of the show are having around things like mental illness and Mm -hmm. racism and that kind of stuff. Like it's one of the reasons I was so excited to do this band book club because I wanted to read those kinds of books that are rubbing conservative people the wrong way that are frightening adults who would rather lie to children than actually help to prepare them for real experiences and go ask alice yeah it is it's uh it's a trapped in amber kind of text that maybe shows us we've come a long way but i'm also really discouraged by the fact that this is a book of lies that probably made beatrice sparks really rich Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. And I want to also note one disturbing trend in Beatrice Sparks' work is that they aren't all diaries, although a lot of them are. Mm-hmm. Some of them are presented as edited transcripts of therapy sessions with teens. Which, oh, gross. Yeah, whether true or completely made up. That's not okay. Both gross. Yeah. Both gross. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm done. I got nothing yeah, else to I, say. I was gonna say, can we can we put <laughs> Owls back on the shelf and yeah. move on to I don't know if we're gonna say better texts or just very different kinds of texts. I am really glad we read this, Joe. I think that um we haven't spent a lot of time in this moment in YA and mm-hmm. It's an important one because in many ways it does bridge the gap from sort of exclusively sort of children's literature books about childhood or some of those more adult marketed focalizations. So things like Catcher in the Rye Mm -hmm. to the the kind of hyper realist stuff we see right now. Like you can Mm -hmm. trace the line through Go Ask Alice that takes us there. Right. And so for that reason, I think it's important. I also want to put a pitch in 
for folks who are fans of the toast to go and look up an article called Lines from Go Ask Alice that, in hindsight, should have tipped me off that this was not, in fact, a true story. <laughs> because <laughs> it pulls out the best terrible lines from the book, and and I love it. <laughs> so what you're saying is if you need a laugh, you should seek that out. It's very, very, very funny. Um, yeah, it's very funny. Go look it okay. up. <laughs> okay, okay. So, Brenna, before we talk about where we're going next week for a full-length episode, which is not without its own share of controversy, shall we talk about where we're going to go for the next couple of months with Book Club? Okay. I am excited because our next month's pick is a listener suggestion, and it's Saucy Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Allegedly, yes. Allegedly Saucy. I haven't, in fact, started it, but it's allegedly Saucy. So we're going to be reading... Wetlands by Charlotte Roche, which is, I believe she's a British writer who lives in Germany, and this was published in German originally. Mm -hmm. And it's a first for book club because we actually are going to do a book club slash adaptation episode. I'm going to try to do it all, Joe. All of it. I know. I'm not sure why we didn't just make this a regular episode now that I think about it. But (laughs) (laughs) the book club aspect, I think, is around the idea that this was a banned book. Um, And so we want to talk about sort of how sexuality works in banned books and all that kind of stuff. So we'll get there. Yeah, so that's going to be for the end of June. And then, of course, we're trying to let people organize ahead of time. So where are we going to go after that? Well, we're going to dip back into classics, and we're going to look at Cousins by Virginia Hamilton. Virginia Hamilton is actually, like, one of the most decorated writers of Kidlet. Um, Okay. But you never hear about her anymore. And I think that probably has a lot to do with the fact that she was a black woman writing books for youth in the 90s in a period where these kinds of books were really seen as being throwaway. And so, yeah, I want to dig into that a bit. So Cousins by Virginia Hamilton is up after Wetlands. Okay. And folks, if you need to get your reading and watching organized for next week, our full-length episode is going to be a bit of a doozy. It's not Heartstopper. You gotta wait a little while longer for that. Uh, We're gonna tackle Wonder. Oh boy, Brenna. Oh boy. Joe, I... I think that this is a hard one for us because we know that it is beloved by lots of people. And we also had some real concerns about the just general ableist framing. So I'm nervous about people listening to this one, Joe, because I know how beloved Wonder is. So I'm just going to ask everybody to go into it with an open mind. And and we <laughs> promise we do too. Yes, we, we try our very best. And then I think I, I maybe mouth off a little bit towards the end. <laughs> but yes, so folks, that's where we're going next week. Wonder, the book, and the film. Mm -hmm. And then following that, we've got a mini-show that I'm actually really excited about. We're going to Brazil with Back to 15, which will be fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a Netflix show, which uh, Canadians, it kind of looks like a Brazilian being Erica. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a really good way to describe it. (laughs) Okay, so Brenna, if people want to preemptively send us messages about Wonder or anything else, book club messages, how would they get a hold of us? Yeah, by the way, can I just say, we got a bunch of the book club messages, like, way early this time around. Like, mm-hmm. we started getting book club messages in April for this yes. text. And what a delight, because A, it gave us lots of time to think about core issues, which I think makes the episode better. And 
I don't know if I said one or A, but B, um, it's great <laughs> to know that people are clicking with a book. So if you're reading and you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the Twitters at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. If you want to send us something longer, like one of these delicious book club emails, it's HKHSPod at gmail.com. Thanks again mm-hmm. to Miriam, Tea Books and Chocolate, Sophie and Victoria for writing in and Gavin for catching us on the Twitters. Right. Joe, if they want to find you, how do they do it? I can be reached at B Stone My Remote, and that's the letter B. I think what Joe would most appreciate is a live tweeting of your reading of Jay's diary. So go get Jay's oh diary gosh. and then live tweet your experience for Joe. He would be so grateful. I do love a satanic panic. So if you're going to put in <laughs> affectations in your voice, I would welcome it. <laughs> and you can find me at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad we did this, Joe. I know it was a bit of a slog for you, but thanks for playing along. Uh, I appreciated the conversation and I hated reading this book. <laughs> Until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. So also we need to decide, are you okay with my suggestion of... Oh, when did we talk about that? We did not. I filled out the schedule for you. Oh, I haven't looked at it. (laughs) Okay, good. Give me one second to pull it up.